Snowflakes today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I am your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. What is up? Hey, Jeremy, what's going on? How are you doing? Yeah, you know, it's end of summer. Kids are going back to school. Back to school. Traffic traffic is getting worse. Like, crazy. Yeah, crazy. That's one thing I really, you know, it's. I think it comes down to like planning. People don't realize, okay. They go through their daily routine through the summer. Everything slows down. And then when they have to take their kids back to school, they don't do the right implementation of their daily process and the right planning to get everything done on time. So everything's just last minute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, it just piles had, up, right? If you don't plan ahead, you know, got piled up. No, I mean, I had to run to Target this past weekend to just get a few supplies and stuff. And it was packed. It's like, Dude, you had the whole summer. Whole summer. <laughs> People doing anything. I'm going to wait till like one day before school starts and I want to go buy everything. Everything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny it's, you say that because now it's been almost a week for school. And yesterday we were at Walmart. And yeah. it was packed. The school section, they still had people buying stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, think about how, what kind of impact that will have on your kids. Because if you don't plan ahead, then kids are not going to plan ahead. It's just. No, yeah. true. But the thing is, you're spending a huge chunk of money right now. And you, if you go to private school, public, if it's private, you have to start spending again now. Yeah. Why don't you spend it back in June and July when you didn't have to pay for school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and the other part of it like you were talking about the traffic piece uh, you know I, what i did is in my view there are two in people who live in the united states there are two season if you may when the traffic gets really bad yeah. one is a school season the other one is a daylight saving season i don't know if you noticed this but when the time changes something happens to people <laughs> they just forget how to drive <laughs> they forget how to drive they're they're like why is it so dark yeah. Oh, why is it? <laughs> yeah, something happens, you know, it's just, well, it's like here in phenomenal. Texas, you know, it's like here in Texas, when it rains, everybody forgets how to drive. <laughs> that's the other thing. Yeah. That's probably the third season. Yeah. And well, okay. So th- there's a reason why we're talking about planning and implementation and all that stuff. Today's topic is a good one. Uh, today's topic is called seven best practices for implementing multi-channel attribution. And, and I think, and, and let me know if I'm correct on this. What we're trying to talk about here today is not the fact that we want to tell you about the best way to to do multi-channel attribution. We're not giving you multi-channel attribution best practices, or you know how that compares to linear or first click, last click, or anything that's legacy. Today we're talking about a team's practice or strategy to implement it within their company, correct? Absolutely. And having been through the implementation cycle with various organizations multiple times, I think it's absolutely critical for users and, uh, you know, especially people who are starting to use attribution and multi-touch attribution. It's absolutely critical to have the right setup. What people don't realize is uh, setup is kind of an afterthought. You know, they usually implement the platform and say, okay, it's implemented. We're all good. And now we're going to go figure out how do we do multi-touch attribution. Uh, so for here, exactly like you said, it's the focus is not necessarily how to do attribution once you already have the platform implemented. Mm-hmm. More so if once you decide on the platform or even before you decide what platform you're going to implement, how do you plan for it? Yeah, it's cool. So let's go through number one. So number one has multiple parts. And, and, and let's make sure that, that when we describe these things, we define it how we see it. Because as we know, business lingo changes 
and so on. Okay, so for instance, to start with, let's define uh, the steering steering committee, right? Where will it reside? Who will own it? Who will sponsor it? Who are the stakeholders? Okay, talking about residing, typically attribution resides what? On servers, on cloud environments, on tools, in-house, on you know, shared... Uh, shared environments. What are you talking about here? So when we say, you know, the first step in the process of uh, implementing an attribution platform is defining a steering committee. And what I mean by that is you need to have a team of people, you know, before you, when you get to the technology and the infrastructure, you need to have a team of people that Mm -hmm. are in close agreement and collaboration of how do you plan for an attribution technology? And as you were pointing to earlier, uh, which is the team constitutes of people from marketing department, people mm-hmm. from marketing operations, yeah. uh, your leadership, you know, whoever is going to be the leadership is like VP level, C-level executives, yep. sponsors, your finance department. And you, in mm-hmm. my, in my personal view, having finance as a part of the process, yes. make it more successful. IT and sales operations, ITs, IT is definitely a critical component and sales operations is also the other piece because mm-hmm. from time to time when you, introduce new attribution ideas um, and methodologies and models, you have to have your salespeople's buy-in. And the best way to do that is to include sales operations in the process from the get-go. Completely agree. So that's what we're proposing, like having a very strong steering committee from the beginning who are collaborating and sharing ideas, developing strategies. Uh, And this comes way before the technology component or the vendor. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times, like, hey, marketing just goes and purchases a attribution vendor. They implement the technology, and yep. now they're dealing with finance, sales, and IT, yep. and trying to figure out how do we get the ducks in the row, which becomes really complicated. So, so one of the things, uh, let me ask you this: when you're defining that steering committee, in your experience in the past, did you have to have only decision makers within that steering committee? Were there doers? Were there just strategic people? Did you have different subsets? You know, how high did you feel like you needed to go? And then what yeah, is the yeah, limit? Point. What's the limit to the size of the team that, that makes it effective? That's a great point. It depends on the organization. So if it's a smaller organization with very limited number of people, you know, more like a startup, uh, your steering committee will probably buy, be like two, three people, like maybe one for marketing, one for sales, and one finance uh, head of the department, right? Or finance, yeah. if yeah. there is one. But if you get it to the mid-sized companies, Normally, your steering committee will be anywhere from five to fifteen people. Okay. Uh, and for larger companies, you will you will even be thirty people. But I would not go more. You know, I would not go more than thirty. Even if it's a large organization, you need to figure sure. out like who are the key members that you need to be included. And those members doesn't necessarily all have to be decision makers. There is you know, so okay. for example, finance may not be a decision maker, but this will impact some of the financial metrics. Let's say if you start, you know, one of the examples that I give is a, a place where I implemented attribution. Um, we involve finance from the beginning because finance was ultimately presenting the company-wide revenue mm-hmm. model. And it was mm-hmm. very important for the finance team to know what are the changes going to be within these marketing and sales channel that will impact their revenue model. So that's, you know, they're, they're essentially the end user, not the decision maker, but they benefit a lot from attribution. I, I agree. And I think it's the, the, the responsibility and also the opportunity of that person who's leading that steering committee to set expectations. And they have to be very clear and defined expectations of saying, okay, 
we know it's this is planning. It's three months out, right? We're not going to do. We're just planning and talking. Here's here's my expectations with, you know, attendance for meetings, which is actually a big deal. Absolutely critical, like that, yeah. right? Participation in the event, like as, uh, active versus passive. You know, mm-hmm. some people are expected to be active in in those committee meetings. Some people are just there yeah. passively, like you said, finance. Um, and the other thing is, you know, at the end of the day, what are they responsible for? You know, people are going to have a set of deliverables that they need to bring in and have a set of responsibility. And as you said, there are going to be people that are decision makers and not people that have power, people that don't. But if you clearly define who does what, you're never in that point in the meeting where all of a sudden somebody asks you and said, I don't really understand why we're here all the time. Yeah. Or this seems like a waste of time. Well, maybe they weren't in that meeting when you said set the expectations. Yeah, they shouldn't be in that meeting. Yeah, I think, you know, keeping, well, keep, sometimes people tend to get really uh, uh, audacious and to try to include as many people as yeah. possible just so that they want to provide everyone the update. But my general advice is keep it short, keep it limited, uh, keep it concise. And only if you feel like there should be someone FII, you can like let send them meeting notes later and just to keep them updated about your project. Plans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's not, it's not a, a, you know, it's not beneath somebody to be able to say, yeah, I, my job is to take notes. My job is to make sure that I sit there and I take notes and write down everything that happened in that meeting, what the outcomes were and everything, because sometimes that is the only communication back up to leadership. They just want to read Absolutely. those notes and you become the voice and really the, the, the key from, let's say, the president or the C-level person to that committee. Even though you're just the person that take notes, you're sometimes the most important person in their eyes. So Yeah, totally get it. Yep. Sweet. Cool. Let's go to number two. So identify the channels. So we talk about different types of channels. There's the traditional channels. There's digital. There's online and offline. What are we talking about here? Yeah, when we say identifying the channels, uh, this is also a very important, especially if you're implementing a multi-channel attribution model. So we're not just talking about digital, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have offline traction, such as your trade shows and events. You're going to have your salespeople uh, going after the customer and chasing meetings. And you want to be able to capture that piece of information. You're going to have uh, some of your Salesforce data uh, if you're using Salesforce as a CRM. So you want to capture some of the interaction that the salespeople are having using Salesforce, lists, such as outbound calling, outbound prospecting. Uh, LinkedIn prospecting, you know, LinkedIn Navigator integrates with Salesforce. So you want to be able to take that as one of the channels. So when we talk about identifying the channels, obviously you're going to identify your digital marketing channels, which are pretty standard, your SEO, SEM, and email and all those. But at the same time, all of your Mm -hmm. offline channels as well. So what happens is once you put the list of all these different ways that your organization reaches to the customer, it becomes very easy for you to say, okay, when I think about multi-channel attribution, I'm not just thinking about this one area or one PPC approach. I'm, all, I'm thinking about much more to website. Yeah. To website and all the offline stuff as well. Like how do these things interact, right? You know, one of the channels mm-hmm. that I'm currently dealing in the current organization is how do we figure out the synergy between all the, the offline activities that we're doing and how does that correlate with online so we can become better at planning and marketing budgets? Uh, so that's why you know, the whole emphasis around like identifying the right types of channels so you can use that when you build your attribution models. 
So uh, b- back in the day when you and I were both at IBM, um, there was uh, that study that went out that talked about how many different marketing tools does the average department have? And it was 35. Right. <laughs> That's a lot. That's so a lot. You, think, you know what? 35. Okay. If you really add it up. And one of the things people even forget is, is, you know, one of the biggest um, uh, channels that people forget is sometimes offshore channels like the call mm-hmm. center. The call center is part of that. And, and sometimes there's that correlation between, Hey, why is there a relevance relevancy between or an attribution, um, you know, effect between mm-hmm. what's happening in social media versus what's happening in the call center? Like, how is there a correlation? What does the call center and social media have to do with anything? Well, do what, if anything. You posted, what if you posted the wrong promo or the wrong price and all of a sudden the call center blows up and everybody starts calling? It's just one of those things to where you don't really you don't really see how one can affect the other. And that's why it's important to really look at every single possible channel out there. You got to really look at every single thing and you know, the, the sky's limit. There's even those channels that you have to go in and say, you know what, this may be something that don't really touch that often. It's a channel that we don't really hit up, but we need to have that in there. It needs to be identified. Yeah. And, and, and that's where, because, and it's important to look at it because then when you decide on the model, uh, that's at that point, your model planning will take into consideration the impact of each channel. So if the mm-hmm. impact is substantial and you know that it's going to be a critical channel in the journey of your visitor, a buyer, yeah. then you're going to be able to give that more credit or more, more contribution impact versus the channel that are more subtle, you know, something that probably like a download, they downloaded an, um, a case study from your website. It's not substantial, but it's an important piece that you want to give a limited credit when you design the model. It's a trend. You could identify that, look, every other, every customer that has a highest average order value, all of them downloaded some type of documentation. All of them did this specifically this, and it could be that one little minute thing that, that made the difference. So, yeah, Absolutely. Good. So it's good. Number three. So define KPIs and let me first define a KPI or key performance indicator, right? So we're all on the same page. So define KPIs and metrics. So we're talking about shared metrics between the different, um, you know, the diff- between the orgs or the different teams, try not to create silos. Are we talking about uh, collective metrics? Are we talking about people looking at siloed metrics and then bringing them together? Um, to look at the collective KPIs, um, you know, we, we're talking about metrics within each stage of the funnel. What are we really talking about here? Yeah, that's a great point. What we're talking about is uh, having an agreement between these stakeholders that are part of the steering committee in terms of what are the metrics that we're going to report back to the business? What are the metrics that we're going to measure the business performance with? And that's where we come down to. Like, are we going to look at um, you know, visitor metrics, uh, the user level metrics. Are we going to go drill down into the opportunity pipeline metrics in terms of, you know, what's the pipeline? You know, what does the stage movement looks like from one stage to the other? Uh, are we going to be able to understand like, okay, we're not just trying to figure out what are the most effective marketing channels in acquiring these mm-hmm. customers. We also would like to know the marketing channels and the sales channels that are most effective in driving these customers a step further along the journey. Yeah. Uh, so those are critical, like, you know, uh, at, at the face value, you could say, okay, I, I would say the metrics for me are, 
number of leads acquired, number of MQL, the marketing qualified leads generated, number of uh, SQLs created, number of opportunities in pipeline and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Those are core metrics. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, finance could come and say, you know, average, what's the average order value uh, per visitor? Uh, what is the, what is the cost per visitor or mm -hmm. cost per acquisition? Cost so per those lead. are all yeah. the key things that you cost per lead. Exactly. So those are the things that you need to identify and list them, document them. So when we start getting into the reporting aspects of multi-channel attribution, then you are very effective because you have already an agreement from the business. Like, Hey, these are all the key metrics that are value to me. And yeah. it'll be really good because now you're going to be reporting on things that people have agreed upon and not just, you know, some pseudo numbers or metric. So I agree. And I know this is going to question uh, a question that always is going to come up in somebody's head. They're like, okay, so Samir and Jeremy are talking about KPIs. They're probably going to ask the question, well, how many? Three, three to five, is 20 too much? Well, if you have different teams and everybody, if you have five different teams and everybody has five, are you looking at 25 different KPIs? What works and what doesn't? My rule of thumb here is take a handful, the most important ones to you, bring them all together and then identify what's important for your team, but also what's important for the collective, what's important for that steering committee, and just work through it. You know, the thing is, you can't say, hey, here's the set of KPIs that we're going to keep forever and we're never going to change. Well, yes, I mean, you have to have a core set of KPIs because if you're doing something a year later, you want to be able to do an apples to apples comparison of a core set of KPIs to a year ago's core set of KPIs. To compare, right? yeah, absolutely. That's to, a great point. To compare. Uh, yeah, because but if you think gotta, about but it. But it can change. It can change. That's the thing. You know, that, that it, it can absolutely change. Yeah. yeah, because I think the company grows and business changes. You have to go revisit your KPIs every mm -hmm. six months or so, depending on how fast your organization is growing. But yep. the point that you brought, brought up, I want to reiterate that, that a handful of KPIs is a very good practice to start with. And especially when yeah. you're talking about, and we're not talking about reporting the entire company's business. We're talking about <laughs> multi-channel attribution, right? So when you're thinking about multi-channel attribution, what really matters is what are your acquisition channel mix looks like? Mm -hmm. What are your uh, you know, um, marketing automation and funnel enablement channel mix looks like? What are your revenue drivers? And how does the revenue needs to flow between all these channels based on media mix and contribution? So it's a very few things that you're trying to measure with the help of attribution. You're not trying to solve everything with attributions. No. So with that in mind, you know, a handful of metrics is a very good point, a very good place to start with. Cool. So let me take one side question with regards to that. So, and this is something that, that I've had discussions with people in the past. For number three, when we talk about defining KPIs and defining metrics, and, and you're trying to, you're working with your steering committee, is it appropriate for that team to create a hypothesis of what may what they're looking to accomplish? Are they trying to create a hypothesis of what their end goal should be? Or is this something that they should do kind of lean startup style, agile, really slowly get there, do one thing at a time? What's your thought on that? Yeah, that's a great point. And that's actually one of the best practices that we're going to talk about, uh, which is create a data and uh, attribution model plan. Sure. And that's where you start to think about what are your use cases? You know, because mm -hmm. once you have the use cases, uh, so it kind of goes in hand in hand. Like once you have your use cases, you can go look at your metrics and see, okay, if these use, you know, what are the metrics from the pool of metrics that we selected fit mm -hmm. to this use case versus what are the 
metrics that fit to the other use case. And, and, and part of the reason why we're proposing coming up with metrics ahead of time before even you get to the modeling and use cases is the reason because you could now like and you will find the metrics you have already defined. True, true. So, so what now, that is... There may be cases where yeah, I was just going to say one last thing is yeah. once you define use case, you find that for that use case, and maybe it's a high priority one, you don't have a metric associated with that. You can go look, go look at it and say, okay, you know, business for a standpoint, we should go and add this metric and modify it because that maps to this use case. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what Samir is talking about is one of our best practices we're calling create a data and model plan. So we're talking about what data, where is it coming from, how will it be integrated, are we taking one step at a time? So really what it is, it's all about planning. And, and I think the important thing there is that it can't just reside in your head. There's a lot of people who lead these committees and they have this end goal and it sits in their head and they're very cerebral. And these are the people that sit there and just, you know, they think and they ponder and they're trying to figure it out, but they never open their mouth and share that idea with their team. It, it sounds like such sounds like kindergarten speak, right? It sounds like I'm teaching you how to do things in kindergarten, but it's, it really is that important in business to really verbalize what you're thinking, right? If you have a plan in your head and you're trying to accomplish something, verbalize it to your team because yeah. then you'd be able to use a collective mind and it's really important to be able to create that plan because if you don't create that plan alongside of your team, you're basically living on an island and all of a sudden something's going to happen and everybody's going to look at you and say, dude, <laughs> what happened here? You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, it, so that's the next, uh, the next best practice, which is create a data and model plan. So in, in, since we're already talking about that, yeah. is it's, it's important to identify what data, like for example, if you're trying to track the journey of the visitor on your digital properties, obviously it's going to be your digital footprint data, i.e. the visitor data, the session data, yeah. and trying to figure out how are you going to be able to capture that the next piece of data that you're going to be able to capture is your CRM interaction data. Yep. So people calling someone, do you want to capture that information? Uh, do you want to call, do you want to capture the information by responding to an email using mm -hmm. a marketing automation platform? Uh, do you want to be able to capture a face-to-face -face meeting uh, event that's occurring? You know, do you want to capture your trade show? So there are mm -hmm. all these different types of data sources that are coming together, you need to figure out what's materialistic as a part of this attribution conversation that you would like to capture. And there are some really good attribution platforms, which we're gonna to get into later when we talk about the partner, but there are platforms that allows you to connect all these data sources together in one view, so you can yes. do much rather faster. But, and then the modeling part is, okay, there are different types of models, you know, there is a, origination modeling, what channels are driving leads to your website and your properties or customers to your website? What channels are moving these leads from one point to the other, like your marketing automation? What channels are motivating the buyers to take the next step, like your SDRs, your telesales representative? And then what channels are converting these into a deal? Yep. Your sales input. So you need to figure out like, what is my model going to look like? Am I going to take into consideration all these different pieces of the puzzle and design a model that suffice the needs of my organization? Or I'm just going to go with standard models, such as, you know, first mm -hmm. interaction, last interaction, linear interaction, exactly. uh, and so on and so forth. 
Is it okay to, and here's another question. Is it okay to change models or is it something when we stick to it, you stick to it? No, it's absolutely okay to change. And in fact, I highly recommend comparing models. So when you have a models that is customized to your organization and that's already defined very well and it's working, it's really good to go uh, validate that model against a, 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 another model, which could be like you know acquisition-only model or conversion-only right. model or maybe a predictive model that you have built and you just want to test it against your current custom model and say, okay, is the predictive model better uh, or mm-hmm. should I continue to use a custom model? So I always recommend revisiting and evaluating a model from like at least six to eight months and seeing how that's impacting your business results. Completely agree. Cool. So let's go to another one. It's called start small, right? When we say start small, what do you mean? We're talking about taking one approach at a time, one step at a time. And then with that starting small, if you take one step at a time, are you trying to define success in that first step before you go to the next step? Or are you prematurely just continuing to move on and hoping everything can catch up? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I can give a very specific example. So when I, uh, when we say uh, start small, what we're suggesting is uh, start with one marketing channel to prove the value of the attribution. Um, uh, so, in, in one of the organizations that I worked, uh, we implemented multi-touch attribution. But before going to finance and sales and everyone communicating what's happening in the business, we started with our paid search channel. So we said, okay, mm-hmm. let's go see the true value of your paid search channel. And let's see if we can grow our business using paid search. So previously, before we implemented attribution, what was happening is uh, – we were not able to give enough credit to the paid search channel because the paid search used to bring the traffic. And after that, the other channels used to take over. So, you know, people click the ad, they come to the website. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they might probably come by either direct traffic. They might go to a trade show. They might communicate an email and that's when the sales happen. So it was a last click attribution model, which was limiting the credit to paid search. When we implemented multi-channel attribution, we identified that paid search is contributing a whole lot than we originally had envisioned. Mm-hmm. So with that, armed with that data, we work with their agency and we significantly grew the revenue from paid search because now we had so much more to go uh, work with. And that's when we came back to the business and say, you know, this is one really powerful success story where we pretty much doubled the paid search revenue Yep. using multi-touch attribution. We started small, then we went to the finance and said, okay, hey, look, this is working. We may want to start yep. looking at implementing and you know, impacting the revenue model that you're proposing to the executive leadership with the help of this multi-channel attribution data. So let me throw in a wrench here. What if you start small on the channel that you choose, you don't find success? What do you, you move do? Move on, you know, move on to the next one. Okay, uh, cool. It's a learning process, like the whole attribution, one other company that I was consulting with, uh, they also had very limited insight on what was going on with their business. You know, their problem was different. They were getting thousands and thousands of leads, but at the end of the day, the revenue was insignificantly small and Mm -hmm. they had no clue like what's going on. I can't understand what's happening. Why are we getting so many leads and we're not getting these people to buy from us? And then when we implemented multi-channel attribution for them, it immediately showed where the leads are coming from, yeah. what, what channels they're interacting, which leads are coming. You know, so we identified the channels where we knew that the leads are not good quality at all. 
and you switch yeah. off that channel. So going back yeah. to your point is if we know that there are some channels that are not going to be performing well, you take action. You, you either discontinue spending there, uh, depending on how your organizational mm -hmm. budgets are, or you try to tweak that channel to bring more and better quality customers from them. Completely agree. I had a similar type of client to where we were bringing in, you know, hundreds of leads, right? And then all of a sudden we found out we did a, a, a lifetime value model to understand who was bringing in which customer types or segments were bringing in the highest value. And there were customers were losing money. <laughs> you know, we, we decided, Hey, we, we need to make an executive decision and let's go ahead and cut them completely. Even exactly. though it helped build the books and it helped, you know, show that we were growing at the end of the day, it was costing us more money and it was taking more time to be able to do all these things. So at the end of the day, we were coming back with maybe a third of the amount of leads that we had, but it was a higher average order value or a higher, you know, higher retention rate of those customers because they weren't willing to just jump ship. So, yeah. And that's the power of attribution, you know, be able yeah. to have that type of insight in the business. It was not possible like five years or six years ago. No, now it's no. possible to the level, you know, to the very deep level of detail. So that's pretty powerful. Technology is just so cool. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Technology. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, so number six, select a partner or vendor. And I know you have the gamut. And so we're going to talk through Samir's magical list of everybody that he's <laughs> here, right? So um, who do you want to work with? Who's going to be on your same mission? And here's the big one. And, and I, and let me ask this afterwards, but, and let me get you to get through the first part. But the second part is how are you going to integrate with your legacy tech and your existing tech? Because that's something that kind of pulls your hair out at the end of the day. So let's start with, actually, you know what, let, let's start with that one and then we'll get to the new stuff. How do you integrate with existing tech? What do you, what do you say to finance when it's going to take three to six more months to have to build custom APIs for something or, you know, the IT department says, yeah, this is something we've had for 10 years. We're never going to get rid of it ever. What do you, what yeah, do you do? That happens. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard discussion to have, right? Especially if the organization has developed so much legacy stuff, either through their own, uh, you know, IT departments and building new stuff internally yeah. versus relying on external technologies or acquisition. That's the yeah. other piece. Like we talked in the last podcast, we talked about we talked about the the popular analytics acquisition that happened AI this year, yeah. and they're happening every single day. Yeah. Big companies are acquiring small companies. Companies are getting merged with each other. You know, there's like uh, international uh, companies coming in to buy local companies. So it's happening all everywhere. So that creates a new set of challenge, especially mm -hmm. if you're trying to implement multi-channel attribution. And that is a reason why we suggested a step to start small. Yeah. When you start small, you can literally focus on things and areas that are within your domain that you can go mm -hmm. control and you can have uh, an ease of integration between the data points. Uh, and yeah. I can give an example, like one of the organization that I came across have done hundreds of acquisition over time. And now their problem is they are sitting on top of these large number of databases. The customer data is siloed in all these databases. And we're trying to figure out, you know, how can we cross an upsell? Mm -hmm. What I suggested, like, okay, why don't we start with something that is in our, in our view that we mm -hmm. think that we can work with IT very quickly and establish a use case of integration 
and have a custom API to connect the data pieces together yep. and start Sasper's looking at attribution yeah. and start looking at attribution within that area. And mm -hmm. then once you have a success story, you can go back to the leadership and say, hey, you know, this is a really powerful success story we came up with. We want to be able to impact the business across the board. And this is how we're going to approach that. So, you know, the start small and uh, integration in large organizations work hand in hand. Yeah. And it's one of those things you, you just, you got to get as much data as possible. You got to understand what's possible and what's not. And the last thing you ever want to do is just, if IT gives you pushback or finance gives you pushback, the last thing you ever want to say is, okay, sure. And walk away. No, you need to stand up. You need to sit there and ask more questions and dig into it because it's really easy for another team to just say, I'm sorry, we're just, we can't do this. Yeah, and yeah. And then going back to the second part of the you know, point number six for best practice of implementing uh -huh. multiple attribution is selecting the right partner. Yes. Uh, because depending on the complexity of the data in your organization and the databases in your organization, it's extremely important to select the right vendor who is willing to work with you. Yeah. Now, as a standard practice, what I would suggest if you want to go and expedite the implementation of attribution, Generally, uh, my preference would be to working with one centralized database or one centralized CRM systems, you know, Salesforce or Oracle databases or SQL databases, and finding a vendor who in, who's going to work with you to help implement the attribution technology within mm -hmm. that database or within that CRM. And, and we're, not, we're not necessarily going to say go work with this vendor or that vendor. I personally prefer Visible a lot because... Uh, that's the vendor of my choice, and it's uh, it's a very powerful and systematic integration with Salesforce mm -hmm. uh, for multi-touch attribution, and works really well every single time. You know, I've done numerous amount of implementation work with them, but there are so many other vendor in the market. That Full Circle Insight is one of them. Uh, Adobe brings in their own attribution uh, technology. Mm -hmm. Google is starting to develop a more powerful um, multi-channel attribution uh, technology as well. So there are so many different choices. It's important to understand the needs and of your organization, the objective, the environment, the infrastructure, and then go find the right partner. Okay, so let, let's go back to one thing, and this is something I've experienced in the past. When you say a vendor that's willing to work with you to, to put in some time and effort to make it work, let's dig into that because this is probably a situation that's going to happen to a lot of our, a lot of our uh, listeners. Okay, here's an example. Let's say Visible, for example. Um, and I'm in just FYI, I'm not just being selective, just to visible, you know, cause mm -hmm. just the way things are. Um, let's say you, you working with your IT department and there's some legacy technologies that do not specifically integrate with visible, right? So you call them up and you say, Hey, visible, we have this opportunity to be able to do, um, this integration, but we have these legacy technologies that don't really want to talk well or speak well or communicate well with your technologies. When you're asking them to make an investment or asking them to help you out. What does that exactly mean? Yeah, some cases, you know, if, if it also depends on, you know, how uh, your relationship is with the vendor or how do you feel yeah. the vendor's eagerness to get your business. If yeah. the vendor is really eager to work with you and they feel that they're going to get a really good case study working with your business, they're going to be more than happy to customize some of their platforms. And I've had instances where there were certain things that I felt were, uh, you know, we are needed in order to integrate with a third-party vendor and technology. Mm -hmm. I would reach out to the vendor and explain to them, hey, we are more than happy to make you as a vendor of choice, 
uh, here are the challenges that we have internally in the organization. Can you help with us? You know, can you work with us? And can you help us solving some of these problems? And in some cases, the vendor actually came back and developed a custom API to work with the internal technologies. So it's quite possible. Now, there may be some cases where the vendor may have a very strict requirement in terms of mm-hmm. you only work with specific technology. Now, it's not that the vendor is bad or anything like that. It's just the way their business is designed. So they're not mm-hmm. going to go and change their business model just so that they can work with you. But no. there are, you know, but, but a lot of cases, the vendor will, if, if especially they want to get their business and they find it really interesting that's going to be beneficial for their organization, that they're willing to work and go above and beyond their standard practices. If, if you're a big logo and they want you as a named account, you know, they, they may be willing to throw in some consulting hours or technology hours to have somebody come in on site, work with your IT team and build out these, these integrations. So yeah, that's a great point. That's another, yeah. another yeah. way to get them influence your vendors. All you got to do is ask. Right? It doesn't, yeah. I've done it hundreds of times. You've been on the phone hundreds of times. If you don't ask, you'll never know. Never know. Yeah. Cool. So let's go to the last one. Number seven. So delivery recommendations. When you say delivery, what are we talking about? Delivery of what? And let's define that term because not everybody understands what we mean by delivery. Deliver, you mean, right? Yeah, deliver your recommendation. So at the yes. end of the day, Sorry. yeah. So what we're talking about is now, okay, you've gone through all these best practices. You've identified the right type of vendor that you're going to work with and you have started your implementation, once you complete the implementation, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of, uh, in the organization, there's lots of energy when something is getting implemented. Like everyone's excited and yeah, you know, yeah. people are, we're communicating all the way to C-level executives and like, hey, we're gonna implement this amazing technology. And then after the implementation, everything's silent. Yeah. So, so one day your CMO comes in and it's like, hey, I remember like six months ago, we were implementing this amazing technology. What happened yet. with that? Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. hear anything after. Yeah, yeah. So it's very important. Like as soon as you complete the implementation, you know, one one of the things that works really well when you start small, you, it becomes it relatively easy for you to derive insights from that technology and provide it to your business. Mm-hmm. Just like we did, we had that PPC case, uh, you know, where we were able to quickly identify the gold nuggets, go back to our agency really significantly improve the revenue and communicate that back to the business, including all the way to the C-level executives to tell them like, hey, this is how we did it. And they were really excited. Yep. Everyone got excited about attribution. It became yep. like a big uh, news in the organization and everyone was interested in mm-hmm. attribution. So that's what I recommend by you know, delivering your recommendations uh, much faster and implementing it across the different departments in the organization. And really the, the key to this, there's a technique. It's, it's almost like a technique of storytelling. You know, you, you got to be a great storyteller. You got to go out there and you got to build that relationship with those stakeholders, keep them excited, you know, but you, you got to, you got to set those expectations to them that, Hey, you know, things may evolve. Things mm-hmm. may need to be improved. You know, we got to evaluate what we're doing we may have to pivot and change, but it's all about telling that great story and having that great relationship. And you know what? Those are, those are those qualities that not everybody in this field has. You know, there's a lot of great people who are brilliant and, you know, genius level when it comes to attribution and they're so data driven, but they don't have that innate ability to actually be able to talk to people. Yeah. And communication a, is a very important. It's those soft skills. You have to have those soft skills too. And, and you, we, you and I can't emphasize enough. They, they talk about unicorns. The real unicorn 
is somebody who can look at the data and really understand what's going on, but also have the soft skills and the ability to talk to somebody and explain it in their words in a way that they Absolutely. understand because not everybody speaks your same language. Absolutely. So, great. Great. Yeah. Very cool stuff. This, this is a good one. I like this one. This is a, this is something I think people are going to get excited about. They're going to say, you know what? Uh, I think this podcast is pretty fantastic. I'm going to go out and get something done or I'm going to start planning for uh, 2019, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. I think it's, it's absolutely critical topic as well for a lot of people nowadays, you know, with all the proliferation of multiple yep. marketing channels. So exactly. So this has been great. And, and again, to our audience, you know, continue, please. Uh, you know, we love feedback. We love for you to give us ideas. If there's a specific topic that you want us to go into and talk about, Hey, challenge us. I mean, maybe not some weird stuff, but you know, there's <laughs> Samir and I know a few different things. So, you know, give us a good topic and, and we'll bring it on air and it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. And also, uh, you know, if you can go to iTunes and please leave us a feedback that will really, really help us uh, yes. trying to get, trying to reach to more people just like you, uh, your feedback, your reviews will definitely help. So I really appreciate if you could go into iTunes and leave us a review and let us know how yes. are you doing? Yes, exactly. And that's all we got today. And uh, I'm happy you guys could join us today. See ya. See ya.